Turn to, in your Bibles, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter 4, and we will get there in a bit and continue our series, the title of which is on the screen behind me, Centering on Ministry. I'll explain why it's called that in just a bit, but I want to bring you up to speed very quickly on some things that are coming up. The True Woman Conference, which is the 20th through the 22nd. Today is the last day to register for that. And we just had a handful of tickets left prior to today. So if there are any left, you can check with the uh, Resource Center gals and uh, see. But after today, after we leave at noon today, then uh, that's the final opportunity to register for that. And we have our marriage series, Committed Marriage, which is beginning on Wednesday the 26th. That's at 7 o'clock. Our midweek program does not meet here. It meets at Patrick Henry Middle School, and that's on Hall Road, about a mile from here. So make note of that. Don't come here on Wednesdays. Go there. And on Wednesdays, we not only have the marriage class, but we have uh, another adult class taught by Dr. McCabe from the seminary for those who aren't interested in the marriage class. And then we have our teen program, and we also have the kids program and nursery and toddlers. So something for all ages, 7 o'clock every Wednesday beginning the 26th of this month. Three weeks from tonight is our annual celebration dinner. It's our anniversary dinner. Our church started in September, and so every September since, we have had an anniversary celebration of God's grace to our church. And so that will be the 30th at 5 o'clock, and it will be at the Westfield Activity Center in Trenton. We've had a few events there. We had our celebration dinner there last year, so most of you know where it is. But it's uh, behind the Trenton Library on uh, West Road. Uh, Five o'clock, there are tickets for that to help us defray the cost uh, of the event a bit. Five dollars each person, twenty dollars maximum per per family. And those tickets are available at the uh, Resource Center. Next month, on Sunday the 21st, October 21st, We will begin four weeks of both our newcomers orientation and our new members orientation. So we offer those a few times each year, and I teach the one, Pastor Matt teaches the other, and here's what they are. The newcomers orientation is the one that I teach, and that is for folks who have been coming to our church who want to know more about it, so you fit the newcomer category, and you you haven't joined, you're not sure if you want to, but you'd like more information. That's what this uh, class is for. It's four weeks. I give you a booklet of material that I go through for those four weeks, and it gives you a boatload of information about us, where we came from, what we believe, what we want to do in the future, all of that. So those of you who fit in that category, if you're interested in that, mark October 21, and for four Sundays in a row in this class, you will, uh, you will participate in that. Now, if uh, you've never taken that, then I would encourage you to take it. Those of you that have taken that and joined uh, will take the new members class. That's for folks who are members now, but you've never taken the new members orientation. And Pastor Matt leads that to get you acclimated to our church and its ministries and how we function and all of that. So those will be going on, and then those of you that don't fit into either category will be in this room for those four weeks, and uh, you'll be taught by uh, a number of folks who will fill in for me uh, for that four-week period. So October 21, and for four Sundays thereafter, our newcomers and new members orientations. uh, Mark that, and we'll continue to announce it in the intervening weeks. 
Why are we in this series centering on ministry? Why do we even call it that? We call it that because we have been praying about and diligently seeking a permanent location to carry out our ministry really even before our church launched over 10 years ago. I mean, prior to actually launching the church, I was scouting the area with a realtor developer. So we have been looking and we have looked at dozens and dozens of, of places. And that journey has included, most of you know, us purchasing 10 acres about uh, five, six years ago on Inkster Road, uh, 10-acre parcel on which we thought we might build uh, a facility. But 2008, the market changed dramatically such that it became more economical and better stewardship to buy an existing closed building than to erect a new one. So we started looking at existing buildings. And in May of this year, May 10 of this year, we closed on the purchase of what was an elementary school in Trenton. So we've owned it now for these uh, several months. We hoped by the following month in June to start renovations to the building, but most of you know that we ran into issues with the city and nothing bad but just delays. It just takes a while. You can't fight City Hall. You know how that goes. So we had to get our site plan approved through their planning commission, and that took longer than we thought. We finally got on the planning commission's agenda July 25. They gave us four things that they wanted, to rev wanted us to revise. Two weeks later, August 8th, we went back. August 8th, we got approval for our site plan. Now we've been trying to get our actual building permit so that we can start tearing stuff up in the building. And we got our demolition permit this past week, and on Friday... They moved a dumpster, construction dumpster outside of the building and actually started tearing stuff out. So there's a picture of me floating around the church with a sledgehammer and a, and a hard hat. So, uh, and, and it looks completely natural, as you might imagine. <laughs> and uh, myself and Ed Martin were there, and Ed always has, you know, now it's always dangerous with people with these cameras. And uh, so there's a shot of me, and Ed's got this drill, I guess it's called a drill, the thing looks like a, a machine gun. I mean, it's that, it's that big. And uh, so there's a shot of Ed with that. But they were going at it on Friday, and I was surprised at how much uh, they got torn out in a short period of time. And they'll be going at it starting tomorrow uh, in uh, earnest. So the project has started, and we're thankful for, for that. And my approach, and I encourage you to take this approach with it as well, as long as it's evident that we are moving forward, then we're okay. You know, if, if we're moving backwards or if we hit some interminable delay, well, then that's, that's a problem. But as long as we're moving forward, even if it's not as fast uh, as we would like, as long as we're moving forward, then let's just thank the Lord for that and we'll finally, we'll finally get there. Okay, so, and, and that is the case. And the beginning of renovations is certainly a tangible sign that we are moving forward with that. We call and have called the building that we would either erect or now have purchased, we've been using the term ministry center for that facility. And the reason that we've been doing that for years is to emphasize that the church is not a building. It's not brick and mortar. It is the called out people of God who have been called out by God to, to reflect his character to him and in his world and to carry out his mission. We're the church. And we don't want the building to become the church. So we've called it the ministry center. And it's descriptive because it's a center, a place where ministry occurs on site, but also where training takes place for ministry to, take, to occur off site as, as well. 
So ministry center. And now that we have the ministry center and we prepare to move into it, we've been doing this series called Centering on Ministry. We want to focus our minds on now the ministry that is to be had in this place that God has given to us. So over the last several weeks, we've been reminded of the centrality of the church to God's work and the beauty of the church and the mission of the church, which is to mature disciples, followers of Jesus. And you see there Colossians 1.28, and I've been quoting that these last several weeks to remind you that that verse is the theme verse for our church, has been since day one, because it says we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. So our objective is to present those that God brings into our circle of influence, to, to mature them and present them to God as mature disciples of Jesus. Now, that's easy to say. It takes a lot of work. And in order to do that, we've developed a very elaborate discipleship process so that wherever anyone enters this road to maturity, whatever age, whatever background they have, we'll be able to take them from where they are to where they, to where they need to go. And in weeks past, I've explained some of that. Now, if you missed any or all of those, all of our messages, first hour and second hour, are all recorded, and they are on our website. So if you care to, you can go back and listen to those. So we've looked at the centrality of the church and the beauty of the church, the mission of the church to present everyone mature, perfect in, in Christ. And then we've been talking about practical ways that we need to prepare ourselves in order to carry out that mission. And we need to prepare ourselves uh, structurally. And uh, in fact, I'm going to, uh, structurally, we need to prepare ourselves. And so it means that uh, our structure as a church is uh, going to be a bit more elaborate than it has been in the past, because as a church is effective in reaching others and as it grows, then its uh, structure increases in order to accommodate those additional people. And we looked last week at the need to prepare ourselves spiritually ahead of time, determine prayerfully that we're going to avoid some of the pitfalls that often happen to churches, believe it or not, when they move into a new facility. I mean, you would think it would just be all celebration and euphoria and everybody's thrilled. And it is that for the first six months or a year or so. And then reality starts to set in. And then there can become dissension for reasons that I gave last week or dissatisfaction or we can become distracted. These are all things that happen. They have happened. I've seen some of them happen. And so they are things for which we would be wise to be proactive, to prepare ourselves before they occur so that they won't occur. I believe they won't because we're taking, making this preparation, but they could, and I believe they probably would, at least to some extent, if we didn't do some of that preparation. So structurally and spiritually, and today I'd like to talk to you about, in our remaining weeks, I'd like to talk to you about a couple more. One I can dispense with fairly quickly today, and then we'll finish off beginning the next one that we'll look at for the next few weeks. We need to prepare ourselves for moving into our ministry center, not only structurally and spiritually, but also 
administratively, administratively, and evangelistically. Administratively and evangelistically. Now, the administrative one, I can deal with fairly, fairly quickly. But it means that in order to support the additional people that we have reason to believe we'll come in contact with in our new ministry center, uh, we will have more people come. People come to a new building just because they're curious, if nothing else. It happens in every place I know of that moved into a, a new facility. And that will happen to us even without doing anything. But we're also going to do stuff to actually try to reach people. So you put the two together, you're going to have new people come. But in order to assimilate those people and minister effectively to those people, you have to widen the base of servants in your church in order to support the increased number of people coming to your church. So uh, we have always been a church that has emphasized that all of us are gifted by God to use our backgrounds and our experiences, the gifts that he has given us, for the purpose for which he has given those, channeled into his work. And our church has always been blessed with a very high percentage of people that are actively involved in his work. It's always pushing 80%. So rather than 20% of the people doing 80%, we've got 80% of the people doing, uh, doing 100% of the work. And the other 20%, we dog you rel- relentlessly. And so... <laughs> Basically, what this means is that we're going to dog you some more in order to have the highest number of people actively engaged in the ministry as possible, to have the widest ministry base to support the uh, increased number of people that we have reason to believe God is, is going to bring us. So to prepare administratively means that, widening the base of, of servants. But also, it means and has meant Preparing for a, a larger church, I don't mean large necessarily, you know, but, but larger, like a medium-sized church now, and we're going to build, uh, Lord willing, whether now or eventually, we're going to build a worship area that will about double uh, what we have now. So uh, we'll become a larger church. Well, the time to prepare for that is before it happens. So we have been doing that in subtle ways for a lot of years. And we need to be reminded of that. And those of you in areas of ministry need to be reminded to do that even before we move in. Now, what are these subtle ways we've been doing that? You know, our, our church has sometimes engaged in what many would look at as overkill. In the kind of, in the kind of organizational structure that we've had for the stuff we do. Uh, I've heard this a number of times over the years. You know, look, it'll just get done. Uh, and so just let's just tell people when to show up and kind of by hook and crook, it'll get done. And that's true a lot of times. That you can sort of run by the seat of your pants and get by with it. But you can only do that for so long and you can only do that at a certain size. And as your size increases the need for you to have, to have administrative structure in place becomes all the more important. And the time to put that in place is before, not after you need it. So that's why we've done that. 
We've tried to put it in place before we need it in anticipation of things are going to move forward. We are going to continue to reach people. And therefore, when we do, it's already in place. So we have things like a check-in system. You know, we've had a check-in system for our kids, our little ones, when we only had like two little ones. I mean, how elaborate does your check-in system have to be? Well, not very, but we anticipated we would have more. And lo and behold, we have, we have more. And the time to get that set up is before you have more. Not when you have five or six more babies in there and then you go, hey, what are we going to do? And we look like the Keystone Cops trying to get it together when, right? So do it before in anticipation that it will. Security system. You know, you all know we have a fairly elaborate security system. Now, this is the largest building we've ever been in. And so there's very good reason to have it here. There's just all sorts of ways that kids could go out the wrong door or people can come in a door or any of that. And so we, every Sunday, have people patrolling the hallways and guys who have been trained to, to do that stuff. But even when we were in smaller buildings, even when we were at, we were at Summit and then at uh, Patrick Henry and Brownstown Middle School, this is our fourth school that we've met in. We've, we've always had uh, that, not because we needed it so much or certainly not to the extent... Uh, that we had it, but because we knew we would in the future. So put it in place now. And that is going to come in very handy for us in our 47,000 square foot building that we're going to be in that has all kinds of entries and exits and and all of that. So doing it ahead of time before you, you get there. And then in even more subtle ways, sometimes you all hear me call the bulletin a program. If you look in your program, well, why do I do that? I mean, it really is just a bulletin. Because I anticipate as you get larger, there'll be more stuff. That thing's actually going to get bigger. I mean, it's a trifold right now. It's going to be like a little book. Because you just have more ministries going, going on. And so it becomes more than just a bulletin. It becomes more like a, more like a program, a folder. And so we're just trying to prepare ourselves to have a mindset for reaching and ministering to people when God gives them to us, before he gives them to us. And even more subtle stuff, like, I can't see the sun. Is that Freya over there? Freya and Sandra? There they are. They are the attendants at our resource slash information. And you see where they're sitting. They're sitting by a table. So for the first several years of our church, we called it an information table or a resource table because all the junk's on a table. But there's going to come a time when those resources won't be on a table. They will be in an area that is designed for resources called a resource center. So I started saying several years ago, go over to the information center and go to the resource center just so people could get the idea that that's, that that's what that is. And so we've been trying to prepare ourselves, as I say, in subtle ways in order to be ready to assimilate the people that we believe that God is going to bring to us. And that requires those kinds of administrative preparations, okay? So there's method to the madness. A lot of times it's just madness, but sometimes there's some real method to it. We also, and this is the last thing I want to cover over the next several weeks, we need to prepare ourselves evangelistically. 
as we anticipate moving into our building. And as we prepare ourselves evangelistically, one of the things we need to do is engage in intentional outreach. Intentional outreach at the location that God has provided for us. And that's why I've had you turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, are an evangelistic passage. It's a passage that deals with things that need to be done in order to be effective in reaching people with the gospel. So if we're going to engage in intentional and effective outreach, we're going to need to do the things that were commanded in Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So in these first two verses of that passage, evangelistic passage, Paul, who wrote it, says, if you're going to be effective at proclaiming, if I'm going to be effective and if we're going to be effective at proclaiming the, the message, then one of the things we're going to have to do is, is pray. And what is it that we should, we should pray for? We should pray for open doors. So one of the things that we've got to do to be effective evangelistically before we even go is to pray for open doors in this new facility that God has provided for us. So between now and the time we move in, whenever that is, I'm asking you all to pray that God would begin to open doors in the circumstances and in the hearts of people that we haven't even met yet for us to give the gospel. Pray for open doors through the ministry that we'll be able to carry out at our new location. This is going to be a staple prayer request in our Sunday night home groups. You all know that have participated in those. We put out a prayer sheet. One of the items on that prayer sheet is going to be open doors as we move into our ministry center, but I'm asking you all to pray for that as well. Open doors and open hearts to the message that, that we're going to bring. So we pray for open doors, and this passage is also telling us in verse 2 to be watchful. That is, to be alert for opportunities. So we pray for open doors, but we are also alert to opportunities to proclaim Christ in this, in this new location. Now, what, what kinds of opportunities do we know about and should we be alert to so that we can take advantage, exploit those opportunities that God has given well, you could answer that in a lot of ways. In an ongoing way, you have to be alert to what's going on in your community so that you can minister to needs in that community and God use that as a base to give the gospel. So that'll be an ongoing thing. You know, something happens at the, at the schools, for instance. Some need arises at the schools. We need to be alert to that. And we need to, uh, try, to try to help with that if we can and use that as an opportunity to be a witness for, for Christ. So in an ongoing way, we'll need to be alert. 
But even beyond what will happen in the future and, and being alert on a regular basis to opportunities, here are three categories of people that you and I should be alert to, that, we're, that, that we should make ourselves or remake ourselves aware of in order to give the gospel. Three categories. First one is people you know. So as we are alert to opportunities that God puts in our path for us to proclaim Christ, one of the first categories that applies to each of us that we should try to take advantage of people, just people you know. Just make a list of all the people you know who need Jesus. And if you don't have anybody in your life who needs Jesus, then be here in two weeks when I talk about what worldliness is. It's not withdrawing yourself from the world so that you have no effect on the world. You become too isolated if you don't know anybody who needs Jesus. I doubt that's the case with anybody here. But So the first category is people you know. People you know that need Christ. Or maybe people you know that may know the Lord, but they don't, they're not being instructed in the Lord. They don't have a Bible teaching church. Or they do occasionally go to a church, but it's not a Bible teaching church. You know there are churches like that. And if that's the case, then these are all people who you know, who you need to invite to learn of the Lord, uh, be introduced to the Lord, or be taught in the Lord. So the first category of people to be alert to for evangelistic purposes is just people you know, people who need the Lord, people who need to be taught. But a second category is people you used to know. There's people you know, and then there's people you used to know. You just sort of lost track of these people. And we all do that. Life goes on, gets busy. But just think to yourself, and Facebook can probably help with that. You have people coming out of the woodwork that you forgot about. But tax your brain a bit to think about, yes, who I know, but also people that I used to know. And then apply the same criteria to those people you used to know. Do they know the Lord? Are they involved in a Bible teaching church? If not, make contact with them. And then the last category is people you would like to know. Just, you know, uh, your kid is involved in soccer. I'm just making stuff up. And there's somebody who's the head of the soccer league, and you know their name, but you don't know them. So you've never known them. You don't know them now. You didn't know them in the past. They don't fit the first two categories. But these are people that I'd like to know. God has brought them into, into my circle, and I'm going to make a point of introducing myself to this additional list of people that are in my circle of influence, and I'm going to try to try to uh, bring them into my at least acquaintance, if not friendship, as a means to engage in relational evangelism. So through these relationships, being alert to those that we know, used to know, and those that we would like to know, you take uh, a group the size of our church, and you could have a lot of people being invited to hear about Jesus and to be taught in Jesus. So I'm asking you all to pray for open doors and to make a list like that. People I know, used to know, people I'd like to know. Okay, But then the passage goes on to say, 
Not only be alert to opportunities, uh, pray for opportunities, but then verse 4 says we need to pray for courage. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. When Paul says clearly, actually some translations say boldly as I should or fearlessly as I should. And so when he says clearly, he's not just talking about that I'll, I'll not mess up the points of the gospel message. I mean, that's true. We want to make sure it's, it's understandable. But he is saying, I need the courage to proclaim the message. In fact, when he, when he says that, notice it follows right after he says that I am in chains. I'm in chains for Christ. So Paul already knows about the fear that can go with representing Christ. He's in jail as, under, under house arrest as a result. And so he's in chains, but he uh, still knows that this is his mission. But he needs prayer for the boldness to carry it out in the midst of rejection or worse. So we need to pray for boldness, courage, fearlessness in proclaiming the message of, of Christ. Now, thankfully for us, we live in a free country, and the, the, um, the potential issues for us are mostly just personal and hurt feelings, right? You're not going to get thrown in jail for proclaiming Jesus. You might be called an idiot. You might have you know, the phone hung up. You might have somebody not return your email. You might have somebody defriend you on Facebook. You know, whatever. But that's about as far as it's going to go for us. Thanks to the Lord. But we've got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world now and, of course, throughout the history of the church. And Paul is an example of one who gave his life for giving the message. And so we need the courage to overcome the fear that we have even of those small repercussions. So pray for open doors, be alert to opportunities, pray for courage to give the message, and then in verse 5, we're to also pursue credibility as we give the message, pursue credibility as we give the message. Verse 5 says this, be careful or be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So pursue credibility in the relationships that God gives you because you're an ambassador for Christ. You're representing Christ. So this morning in the first hour, I gave an illustration, you know, of a person who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they slander and gossip about other people. Their credibility is shot, isn't it, when they do that? So in your circle of influence, what is your credibility quotient like as an ambassador for Christ, as a representative for Christ? This passage says to, to be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity that God presents. Now, I'd mentioned something happens at the school, being alert to those opportunities. In our community, in order for us as a collectively to pursue credibility, I personally believe 
that as a church, not just as individuals, individuals have to do what I've said. Be careful in the way you speak and act as you're representing Christ as his ambassador. It's all true. But in addition to that, corporately, as a congregation, as a church, we need to pursue credibility in our community by being actively involved in trying to help meet the needs of our community. We need to communicate that we're a church that cares about our community. And as we communicate that, it gives us credibility with the message that we, that we proclaim. So, one of the things that we want to do is something called community cares. That would be us, we care. And we ask the city and we ask the schools, what things can we do for you? We're going to schedule a day or days in order to carry out things that you need at the schools, at, at, throughout the city, at the parks, whatever you need, we're here to help. And we want to let the community know that we care. And as a result of that, one, we're, yes, practically making contacts, but we are also, I believe, being wise in the way that we act toward unbelievers, outsiders. Letting them know the kind of Christ-like character that, that we have and demonstrating that in our interactions with them. Making the most of every opportunity that we're obviously presented with and that we think through and, uh, and take advantage of. And then last but not least, if we're going to be effective in our outreach, we're going to need to be sensitive in our interactions. Sensitive in our interactions. We pursue credibility, but we're sensitive in our interactions with unbelievers. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What does that look like? Being sensitive in the way we communicate. A lot of stuff you could say here. Uh, I mentioned a couple of slightly political things in the first hour. Between now and November, you'll hear me mention a few more. But here's one. Friends, we need to be sensitive to the fact that many of the people that God has for us to reach are not Republican. I know I just blasphemed. But it's possible to go to heaven and not be a Republican. You know, and we, I'm glad you're laughing. But it doesn't always come off that way. And if you and I are not careful, we will shut the door to being able to communicate the gospel to people. Because we have said this is the profile of what you have to be in order to follow Jesus and in order to be a part of this community of faith. I was at, a few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Denver, Colorado, and I was presenting stuff about reaching your community, and I was talking about this, and I said to this group of guys, most of whom I didn't know, I said, uh, you know, you don't want your church to become known as the Republican church. They didn't laugh. 
And we took a break, and we're out in the hallway, and they had a book table out there. And I'm looking at the books, and one of the books written by the host pastor is about all of this conservative political stuff that he wrote and he gives to people when they come to the church. Well, okay, I haven't been invited back. (laughs) That's okay. I'll go to Denver on my own dime next time. But, but here's the thing. That brother doesn't stand a chance of reaching people who aren't already politically persuaded the way he is. He doesn't stand a chance of reaching those people. And I don't know how many people that represents in Denver, but Denver's a big place and that's a bunch of people. So we need to be sensitive then in the way we speak so that we don't unnecessarily cut off people that God has called us to reach. So I am saying to some of you, tone it down. You know, I've got strong views. You'll hear a few of them between now and November in my role as pastor to just provide some guidance to our congregation. But I'm not a flamethrower for any political party. And Jesus is no political party's mascot. And so I'm just saying, friends, be sensitive to that. Tone it down as we prepare to reach those that God has called us to reach. Now, can you guys think of issues that are going on? that we could get out there on and let people know how much we hate them? I mean, let's just get out front when we move into Trenton and let everybody know who we hate so that you all don't make the mistake of pulling in the parking lot. But we, we, can, get on, we can get on a political agenda. We can, we can push for a proposition in Lansing on same-sex marriage? If that's, what it, if that's what we want to do, if we think that's what God has called us to do, then we could marshal our resources and do that. And we could let all of these people struggling with sin, let them know, don't bother coming here. But I think that would be a huge mistake. Notice how I phrased it. All these people struggling with sin. And guess how many people that is? (laughs) That would be all of them. And that would be all of us. Right? So, we're to be sensitive in the way we speak so that we will be able to know how to answer everyone. Now, you could skip over that last phrase very quickly if you're not if you're not careful, so that you will know how to answer everyone. It is similar to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, where Peter says, be always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that is within you. Be ready to give an answer. And here, Paul is saying, like Peter now, as people ask, you will have a forum and be ready to answer. 
But ask yourself this question, what's going to cause anybody to ask you? Ask us. If we have come in as flamethrowers, told people what the profile is that you have to have in order to come in, ain't nobody going to be asking us. They already know we hate them. That's why Paul prefaces it with, let your conversation be full of grace. And when your conversation is full of grace, now you have the hope that people will feel safe enough to ask you. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, just before he says, be ready, always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you, before he says that, here's the phrase, set apart in your hearts Christ as Lord. And be ready to give an answer. So this is the kind of people that we need to be, the kind of conversation we need to engage in, so that we are now given the opportunity to be asked and then to accurately represent God's truth in our answer. So we want to prepare ourselves evangelistically. Intentional outreach. So it means to pray for opportunities, be alert, to open doors, people you know, used to know, or would like to know. Praying that God would grant us the boldness, the courage to give the message. That we would pursue credibility with our community. And that we would be sensitive in the way we speak to our community. If we, if we together will do those things, I'm convinced God is going to allow us to be used as his tools to see people come to Jesus incredible stories of God's grace in the lives of people who were lost and have now been found because some people chose to accurately represent Christ as his ambassadors in the community that he has, he has called us to. And so I'm asking you to, to join me in that. Now, starting next week, uh, we are going to continue preparing ourselves evangelistically. But now we're going to get to what I've been threatening to get to for a long time. And that is one of the potential obstacles that we have in being as effective as we can, I believe, is the, uh, is the view that many people have of us before we even move in. People have a view of us before we ever step foot on our campus in Trent. And they have a view of us, one, because we're Christian, that's true, but they have a particular view of us because we're Baptists. And some of you have experienced that in your attempts to witness to people, and they say, what are you? And you say, I'm a Baptist. And then you've, you've all got your war stories with that, right? Well, that being the case, over the next several weeks, I want to talk to you about that. And as a church, we have talked about the possibility when we move in of becoming community Bible church, remaining Baptist in what we believe, but not unnecessarily running people off because of the baggage that goes with that. Now, we may not do that. I'm not interested in pushing that through and creating a, a problem in our congregation. If we're ever going to do it, when we move in is the time to do it. If we don't do it then, we'll probably never do it. If we don't do it, I'll be okay. But I want to take this shot over the next few weeks 
of telling you what that baggage is. I'm convinced that many of the folks in our congregation don't know what that baggage is and don't know how extensive it is and don't know how many crazy Baptists, certifiable crazy Baptists there are. And not just out there, around here. So that if somebody in Trenton happened to wander into one of those places, they came running out, scared at what they had experienced. And they get a flyer from us saying, come. And they go, there's not a snowball's chance I'm doing that. Now, I have no way of knowing how many people that is. But any number of people is too many, in my view. And so I want to, starting next week, in this hour and for several weeks, give you some history regarding where we came from and how we got to where we are. For many of you, the only Baptist church you've known is this one. And you say, you're right, they are crazy. No, we're the only thing you, if you're, we're the only thing you've known, then you're going, what's not to like? You know, this is my church. It's my church because I like my church. What's not to like? Some of you came from other churches that were good, solid, non-crazy Baptist churches. And so you go, what's not to like? And thank God for that. I'm going to show you over the next few weeks that you have been blessed by God to, invo- to avoid the craziness. And I want to show you that it's out there. I want to show you what it looks like. And I want to show you just how crazy it's become. And not just crazy, but it has become even dangerous. It has become, I know it sounds over the top, just stay with me. It's become criminal. Some of the stuff that some of these guys, and a good number, have done is criminal. But they're Baptists. So I'm going to show you that over the next few weeks, starting next week, okay? Please pray about the things that I ask you to for our evangelistic effectiveness. Let's ask the Lord to help us this week. Well, Father, we thank you for this time to be reminded of our role in the mission of giving out the word of Christ, the good news, the gospel. Lord, you have designed that your message be given out in the context of relationships. Lord, you could have chosen to simply have us lob the message over a wall and just have it printed out. Uh, We could telecast it over a wall and never have to meet anyone. But you have not chosen that. In your wisdom, you have chosen for your message and your light and your character to be spread and to be shown in the context of relationships with flesh and blood people. People who struggle like we struggle. And Lord, you have told us in your word that the way we pursue those relationships is part of the process. It is not dispensable. It is an indispensable part of the process that we be credible in the way we represent you as your ambassadors and that we look for opportunities and be wise in the way we take those opportunities, that we speak in ways that are full of grace and seasoned with salt, and we behave in a way that people would feel that it's safe for them to ask us about what we believe and to discuss with them the differences between who we are and what we believe and where they may be. So, Lord, these are all things that you have chosen and you have told us 
And so, Lord, help us then to determine now, before we move to this place that you have provided, that we are going to be people whose relationships are marked by that kind of Christ-likeness, that kind of credibility, that kind of conversation. We ask you to go with us this week as we practice that as your ambassadors. And we ask you to bring us back safely next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.